This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. America, how are you? I'm glad you're listening. I hope you're listening. <laughs> the phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Uh, we got to talk about a story that you're probably not going to hear anywhere else. No, it's not political. Oh, there are political implications for sure, but it's not a real politics story. It's just kind of life, meat and potatoes, problematic, deeply troubling. This is from uh, Robert Bryce, who has a Substack page. Uh, several friends of mine sent this to me in the last few days and asked if I had seen it, uh, all of whom are meteorologists, uh, climate scientists, folks like that. Listen to this. Chris Kiefer, the Toronto-based physician and founder of Canadians for Nuclear Energy, calls the electric grid a civilizational life support system. Kiefer, of course, is correct. The most critical systems in our society, medical, water, wastewater, traffic lights, telecommunications, and lighting, depend on reliable electricity. But earlier this month, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and the North American Electric Reliability Corporation issued their final report on a winter storm that hammered the Northeast U.S. last year. That report proves our natural gas grid is just as essential as our electric grid. Indeed, FERC and NERC have repeatedly said that the two grids are intertwined, interdependent, and irreplaceable. Indeed, a reliable and resilient natural gas grid is critical to our energy security and therefore our national security. Put short, policymakers ignore the importance of the gas pipeline system at our extreme peril. In bone-dry language, the report, entitled Inquiry into Bulk Power System Operations During December 2022 Winter Storm Elliott, explains how the gas pipeline network in New York nearly failed last Christmas when temperatures plummeted during the bomb cyclone. Freeze-related production declines, combined with soaring demand from power plants, homes, and businesses, led to shortages of gas throughout the Northeast. The lack of gas, as well as mechanical and electrical issues, resulted in an unprecedented loss of electric generation capacity, totaling some 90,000 megawatts. While the lack of electricity was dangerous, the possibility of a loss of pressure in the natural gas network should send a bone-chilling shiver 
through the spine of every politician and bureaucrat in Washington, New York, and the Northeast. The report explained that if the gas pipeline system had failed, the recovery process, y'all listen to this now, listen to this. If the gas pipeline system failed, the recovery process in New York City would have taken months. Not New York State. New York City alone would have taken months. The property damage due to damaged water pipes and homes and buildings would have caused hundreds of millions of dollars in damage. Left unsaid in the report is that the collapse of the gas grid during the period in which temperatures in New York stayed below freezing would have caused a calamity unlike any other in U.S. history. The cold that lasted from December 23rd to December 28th would have resulted in thousands or tens of thousands of deaths. The damage from burst water pipes would have rendered untold numbers of residential and office buildings in New York City unusable. A friend who works for the federal government in Washington, D.C. and is familiar with the FERC-NERC report told me last week the loss of gas in New York City would have required evacuating most of the people in the city. Let that sink in for a minute. New York City is roughly 8.5 million residents. Evacuating even 25% of Gotham's residents during extreme cold weather would have been a Herculean effort. But even assuming such an evacuation could be accomplished, imagine how the country would handle 2 million displaced New Yorkers who could not return home for months. While you're at it, imagine if those 2 million New Yorkers had their homes soaked by broken water pipes. Here's a critical section of the report. It explains that Winter Storm Elliott greatly impacted the operations of Consolidated Edison, the electric and gas utility that serves New York City. Let me read you this excerpt. On Christmas Eve morning, the five interstate natural gas pipelines serving Con Edison began experiencing drops in pressure at Con Edison City Gate due to production losses and operational issues. The pressures declined precipitously, and at noon, the pipelines informed Con Edison they had exhausted their line pack and storage withdrawals, and pressure would not improve until demand decreased. Had Con Edison's City Gate pressure not recovered, it was in danger of losing pressure on or needing to cut service to all or large portions of its system. Even losing service to 130,000 customers would be considered a major outage and could have taken five to seven weeks to restore, depending on the availability of mutual aid. Had it lost the majority of its system, over a million customers in New York City and nearby areas would have been unable to heat to their apartments and homes while the outside temperature was in the single digits. System outages for a local natural gas distribution company generally take longer to restore than firm load shed or even cascading outages on an electric grid. Once electricity is restored to a circuit, all of the homes can return to their normal functioning. Lights turn back on, heating or air conditioning systems return to normal function, etc. By contrast, for the natural gas local distribution system to return service outages to normal operation, workers must go house to house and individually light each pilot light. Con Edison estimated it would have taken months to restore service, even with mutual assistance from other utilities had they experienced a complete loss of its system. Now, for contrast, on November 8th, a gas transmission pipeline near Pullman, Washington was damaged in an accident. The accident resulted in a shutoff of gas to just 35,000 customers of Avista. 
Due to the loss of line pressure, the company had to dispatch a crew to every gas customer in the area of their gas network and shut off each meter. After the pipeline was restored, the utility deployed over 800 employees, along with 300 workers from other gas utilities who were responding under mutual aid agreements, and about 60 private contractors. It took a week for the utility to restore service to the 35,000 customers. Now, do that at scale, 1.1 million customers. A crew with 10,000 workers would take months to restore New York's gas system if it failed. Now, this actually is a really big deal. We don't pay attention to the power grid. We don't pay attention to the natural gas systems in this country. But a lot of power companies have ditched coal-burning power plants for natural gas plants because of carbon emissions. They're cleaner. So that takes natural gas supply to the power company to generate electricity, but it pulls that natural gas out of the supply for consumers other than the power company. Uses all, takes a lot of natural gas to fire up the boilers, to boil the water, to generate the steam, to turn the turbines, to generate the electricity. Part of the solution here has to be more nuclear power in the country. But nobody wants to talk about it. It's not a sexy issue. The power grid is not a sexy issue. A buddy of mine who works in energy issues in Texas has been very mindful about it ever since Texas went blackout uh, because of the, the windmills freezing and the solar panels being covered in snow. He says it's the thing that should keep regulators and, and policymakers up at night because we're starting to max out the American power grid. Now, here's part of the problem, and this is where politics comes into this. So let me just use a car analogy real quick. The right believes in order to get gas prices down that we need to produce more oil. We are technically producing more oil than was produced on a daily basis during the Trump administration. The problem is the Trump administration was on track to produce even more than we're now producing until COVID hit. We're just getting back above the Trump levels. We could be even higher had Joe Biden not been so anti-gas. So the Republican solution is to produce more oil, to generate more gas, to lower gas prices. The Democratic solution is to put us all in electric vehicles, put us all in a battery vehicle. The Republican solution for power should be more nuclear plants, keep the coal plants on, do the natural gas plants, do all of the above, everything, solar, wind, nuclear, carbon, you name it. The left solution is solar and wind. The problem is there's a thing called baseload. Baseload is the moment everybody in America flips their power switch and turns on the lights. There's got to be a baseload that can ramp up immediately to cover all those people turning their power on all at once. In a heat wave, the baseload goes up to cover all the people turning their air conditioner on all at once. Solar and wind are not baseload power because solar doesn't work when the sun isn't shining and wind doesn't work when the wind doesn't blow. So you've got to have something else. The left's solution is, well, everybody house, everybody's house should have a battery 
attached to the house, and the battery can store power overnight and use that when the power goes out. That's not a practical solution. We're not going to do that. It's expensive, and there's not enough resources out there to make those sorts of batteries and then install them. The solution has got to be more baseload power grids, and that should obviously be nuclear power. But the left doesn't want to talk about that. I bring this topic. It's not a sexy topic. It's not raw meat politics. It's not bashing Hamas. This is something we do need to be aware of, though, that our policymakers, largely co-opted by the Green New Deal, are heading us into a national nightmare that almost was hit in 2022. This, again, this goes back to Robert Bryce's writing. It appears policymakers have been numbed into complacency about large generation outages and near-catastrophic misses over the past decade that include events like winter storms Uri and Elliot. But this latest near-catastrophe must be put into context. As mentioned above, NERC and FERC, have reportedly warned, have repeatedly warned that the electric grid has become too dependent on natural gas. I love natural gas. And the increased use of gas in the power sector has helped the U.S. cut its carbon dioxide emissions more than any country in the world. But unlike coal and the enriched uranium that fuels a natural power plant, a nuclear power plant, gas is a just-in-time fuel that makes it vulnerable to disruption. And if gas supplies run short, electricity supplies run short. In August... NERC again warned about the over-reliance on natural gas, saying gas and electricity markets are significantly out of synchronism. It continued saying natural gas access is further challenged by multiple priority uses, including home heating and industrial processes. Coordination should focus on the challenges electric generators face in accessing natural gas. And you know what's happening instead? Environmentalists, including Mike Bloomberg, committing money to shutting down coal power plants and converting to natural gas as baseload power. Not nuclear, but natural gas. More power plants using more natural gas reduces the supply of natural gas for homes and businesses, which means when there's a cold front that comes through, it saps up the resources and tanks the production and tanks the supply. And we could be headed towards a really, really, really dangerous bad time in this country because environmental policy isn't favoring the construction of nuclear power plants. It's favoring building natural gas power plants. And we only have so much. Our policymakers have been diluted by the Green New Deal. They're going to fail us. And if it happens in the wintertime, a lot of people could die. But the Biden administration is too held hostage by the Green New Deal and the environmentalists to realize they got a problem on their hands. Sadly, we know what could happen based on what almost happened in New York. And unfortunately, it may be too late if it happens again. And the Biden administration will claim they had no idea except the North American Energy Regulatory Commission and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They've already raised the alarm bells. It's just nobody in Washington seems to be paying attention. That's bad for all of us. He'll do the research and give it to you straight. Eric Erickson is live every weekday.
Want to be on the show? Come on, be on the show. Call Eric now at 877-973-7425. Ladies and gentlemen of America, I need to bring to your attention PETA invade. Well, yep, it is PETA. They invaded a Chick-fil-A. They held up signs. Animals are not ours to eat. Among other things. Um, what are all these signs here? We are all animals. No, no, no vegans. Meat murderers was another sign. These are some weird PETA people. Y'all should all go buy Chick-fil-A today. You should all go buy you a tasty chicken sandwich or a cow. Eat a burger. I made a tasty grilled burger. Y'all, last night, I made Philly cheese. We were watching the Philadelphia Eagles game last night. I made Philly cheesesteak egg rolls. They were quite incredible. But listen, these people, they are protesting in a Chick-fil-A claiming animals are not ours to eat. They've got a bullhorn. They're harassing customers. Um, they, they don't care. Uh, you should go eat. You should go eat some Chick-fil-A today. You should go out of your way to eat Chick-fil-A today just to spite the people of PETA. I do not understand these people. These people are absolutely insane. They actually, I, I loved it over Thanksgiving, uh, argued that turkeys would never eat people. And the community notes on Twitter were actually, if a turkey was large enough, it absolutely would eat a person. It's omnivorous and loves to eat lizards and, and other small animals. It would absolutely eat a person if given the chance. Yes, um, turkeys are not our friends. They are our dinner. That's what it is. Chickens are not our friends. They are our tasty, tasty dinners, particularly if fried and you should go fry up a chicken and eat it just to spite PETA. Now, I must move on, tell you about our friends at Swiss America. They're trying to educate you on how to save your hard-earned assets. As banks are collapsing, the economy is wobbly, inflation is still up, maybe not as high as it was, but it's still up. And now you got the government and corporations colluding in the secret war on cash and all out assault on our freedoms. Swiss America wants to teach you how to protect your hard-earned assets. You can read their report, The Secret War on Cash. Your copy's free. All you do is call or text 800-289-2646. That's 800-289-2646. The all-out war on cash includes digital forms of currency. It's spreading. You can go read the report, The Secret War on Cash, for free. You just mention my name, Eric Erickson, by calling or texting 800 800- 289-2646, 800-289-2646. You can also go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, SwissAmerica.com slash Eric, or call or text 800-289-2646. Now, when you call or text 800-289-2646, if you text them, just mention Eric Erickson in your text or tell them my name when they answer. Message and data rates apply. Y'all need to go get this report today from SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. Smart, fearless, and occasionally funny. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Greetings, welcome. It's Eric Erickson. The phone number is 
973-7425. If you want to be on the program, let me go to Tom. Welcome to the show, Tom. Yes, sir. Hi there. Sorry, I was trying to take my phone off speaker. I was, um, you're, you're talking about the nuclear power in the United States. We've not really had a serious policy about nuclear power here. We've, we've sidestepped it. We've pushed it off to the side for at least 40 years. With um, Carter, he didn't allow the reprocessing or actually outlawed the reprocessing of spent nuclear fuel. And the lessons learned from Three Mile Island never got incorporated into new reactor designs, and they're still being in the process of being reviewed by the NRC. It's There's a tremendous amount that we can do on the nuclear power side at just the snap of a finger by changing the policy. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, you look at the burdens that uh, here in Georgia, Georgia Power had to go through to build its nuclear power plant finally off the ground uh, and getting started with power generation. But it was it was a pain in the butt. And then you had the Westinghouse bankruptcy uh, problems that shut down a project in South Carolina and all the institutional knowledge faded away after we stopped building nuclear power plants. People got scared of them. And all that institutional knowledge just went away. I, you know, I was talking to a nuclear engineer, Tom, who was telling me one of the big problems, in addition to the regulatory issues, that the government has kept kicking the can down the road and just has refused to deal with. One of the big problems is the institutional knowledge died. Like, literally, the institutional knowledge, the people who had the knowledge to build the nuclear power plants, they're all dead. We stopped building them. Those engineers died, and people had to relearn how to how to make the wheel, so to speak. And we have. That's why the power plant in Georgia. Now, for those of you outside the state, it, 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 it's actually a relevant issue to you because in Georgia, the, the power company here, Georgia Power, decided to continue to build this nuclear power plant despite massive cost overruns. And they did so in large part because we needed to reacquire the knowledge on how to safely build a nuclear power plant. There was one other project in the country. It was in South Carolina. They went bankrupt, uh, and, and the project got scuttled. So the power company here went ahead, cost overruns, probably never make money back on it. Uh, overall, they might, but ultimately it needed to be done so we could remember how to build nuclear power plants in this country and get that knowledge back and train a new class of engineer to build them. There are so many more efficient designs. There are some really cool designs for nuclear power plants. So, all right, you know what? This is this is a perfect way. This is a perfect way for me to go off on a wild tangent that I am absolutely fascinated by. Y'all, I am genuinely just fascinated by how do you create power? Just just think about it. Just think about this. What do you do? You learned this in elementary school. I I remember the experiment. Uh, maybe, maybe it was maybe it was middle school, but I, I think it was. I'm trying to remember. Now nah, it would have been it would have been fifth grade with Spiro Bruscus. You take an iron nail and you wrap copper around it, coil it all the way around the nail, the length of the nail, and then you take a U-shaped magnet. 
and you move it back and forth. Now, some schmuck holds the ends of the copper wire while the teacher grins mischievously and moves the magnet back and forth over the hill. It generates electricity. That's how you generate electricity. You, you, you take a copper coil over an iron rod, you move a magnet back and forth, and you generate electricity. Now, how do we do this at scale? For most of the history of mankind, you move water. You convert it to steam, more likely than not. Hydroelectric, uh, you put water behind a dam, you build up pressure so that water through tiny pipes flows in an enormous amount of pressure, enough to move giant turbines for generators to move the magnets around the copper coil to generate the electricity. With coal power plants and nuclear power plants and nuclear power and, and natural gas plants, it is you're using the nuclear power or the coal or the natural gas to generate heat, to convert water to steam, to run through pipes at pressure, to move turbines, to generate power. Our entire method of production of power is to figure out a way to move the turbines. Wind power, what does what is, what is the windmill do? It uses wind instead of steam to turn the magnet around the turbine, around the generator to generate the power. That's it. You're using the blades of the fan as it spins to, to make the motion to generate the power. Now, there's another way to generate power, and that is photovoltaic cells, solar panels. Doesn't convert steam, doesn't move turbines, doesn't do anything like that. It converts electricity in a less efficient manner. It's actually less efficient, the solar panel, than it is to the amount of electricity that one solar panel can do compared to the generation from this one turbine. Essentially, for all of human history, that all of industrialized human history, the entirety of our efforts to generate power have been to spin a magnet around a copper coil that is itself around an iron core, and that generates electricity. I just, I, I if there's an advanced alien civilization, I, I don't believe we'll ever meet them. I, I'm kind of of the opinion that uh, for all practical purposes, we're alone in the universe. I'm willing, it does not violate my core theological beliefs to believe that there are planets of sentient beings elsewhere in the universe. But given the dynamics of the speed of light and the laws of physics, we're never going to encounter them. So it's a waste of time. But let's say there is an alien species out there that is, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand years more advanced than us. I got to imagine they've come up with a new way to create power. That's my theory. The uh, that that somewhere somehow, and we haven't discovered it yet on our planet. There is another more efficient way to generate power. It can't be that our sole way to generate electricity is to spin a magnet around a copper spool around an iron rod or uh, photovoltaic with uh, solar power. There, there's got to be a more efficient way that we as a as a world haven't figured out. I just I think there's got to be. I'm just I'm fascinated by the fact that so much of our energies 
have gone into boiling water, finding ways to boil water, to generate steam, to cause the steam under pressure, to push into turbine blades, to spin so that we can generate power. That, that's it. All those massive power plants on the horizon, they're burning coal to create a fire, to put under water, to create steam, to go through tubes, to push turbines, to spin generators to create power. Whether they use nuclear power or they use coal or they use natural gas or they use wood chips or you name it, that's what it is. I mean, think about this. When you, when you take off from Las Vegas, depending on which way you, you, you look, you can look off into the distance and see this incredibly bright light. It'll burn your retina. It's so bright. Pilots have complained about it. The pilots got to wear sunglasses when they take off from Las Vegas. What is that incredibly bright light? It's a bunch of mirrors that have focused the sunlight on a giant tower. And at the top of the tower is a bulb, and in that bulb is water. And the mirrors are angled to hit sunlight onto that bulb to generate, to boil the water, to make steam, to spin a turbine, to generate power. That's it. All of that effort, all of that land, all of that acreage is for mirrors to point at a bulb of water to convert it to steam to under pressure move turbines. There's just got to be some way to generate electricity that we on this planet haven't figured out that will guide us into the next thousand years. Um, assuming, of course, Jesus comes back and saves us from ourselves before then, that'd be great. But yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm, I literally, legit, I realize I've spent way much, too much time on this, but I am fascinated by how so much of industrialized human existence has been spent around finding new and creative ways to boil water, to convert it to steam, to spin turbines, to generate electricity. It fascinates me to no end. And there are some ingenious schemes when it comes to nuclear power. Now, one of my favorites is I, I've seen instead of using the, the uh, iron rods, you essentially use these radioactive balls that you, you put up on a pyramid and it generates heat. The, the combination generates heat and you can't really get out of control because if it starts to get out of control, you knock the pyramid down and there's not enough heat to generate steam. It's just there are really fascinating advances in nuclear power, but this government refuses to invest in them. Democrats are so hostile to the idea of nuclear power. It's, it's such a great conundrum, isn't it? They're convinced we've got 10 years left to save the planet, and we need to do everything possible to save the planet. But not that. It's very meatloaf, isn't it? I'd do anything for love, but I wouldn't do that. I'll do anything to save the planet. But oh my God, not nuclear power. No way. It almost makes you think maybe, just maybe, they aren't as committed to the concept of nuclear power or committed to their Green New Deal, as they say. Was it Glenn Reynolds, Instapundit, uh, has always said, I'll start treating global warming seriously as soon as these Hollywood elites who preach it uh, from their private jets do? Uh, there's something to be said for that. They sure don't really seem to take it seriously at the end of the day when they can't bring themselves to figure out how to build more nuclear power plants in this country. But again... It's all about just boiling water. That's what it is. Or putting water under pressure in order to spin a turbine. Fascinating. All right. Speaking of fascinating, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm.
It's an air purifier. But not only is it an air purifier, it actually gets rid of odors in the air uh, through ozone generation. It, it's it's an impressive piece of technology. Y'all, I have used this thing so many times. Uh, it, it I hold it in my hand. It's a little bigger than my hand. I can plug it in with a USB cord into my car, or I can plug it into a wall. And I have used it when people have smoked something in rental cars before I've gotten the rental car, and the rental car stinks. And my mom was convinced I'd run over a skunk, and I hadn't. Uh, I've used it in hotel rooms where people have smoked in the hotel room. And I've used it in my own car where I might have accidentally possibly gotten into the car, not thinking about it with a cigar. And boy, was my wife furious until I used the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and wiped out the odors. It really does work. Litter box odors, pet odors, smoke odors, you name it. You get three of them for less than $200. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com, and you put in my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K is the discount code on the dis- on the front page of the site. EdenPureDeals.com, the discount code box is Eric. You get three of them for less than $200. You're actually saving $200 doing it this way, and you get free shipping. You get three of them for less than $200. So upstairs, downstairs, your basement, your travel bag, your RV, wherever you need them, and it'll just wipe out odors. It does get rid of the pollen and the dust and all that, too. It's got electrostatic plates, but it really shines as an odor eliminator. Get three of them for less than $200. EdenPureDeals.com, the discount code Eric. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show, the perfect blend of news, analysis, opinion, and cooking. Hang on. Is that right? Yeah. Cooking. Want Eric's weekly recipes? They're super delicious. Text recipe to 33777 now. Hi, how are you? Glad to have you with me. All right, I've I've put off this story till the end. This is, and again, it's all about my blood pressure these days. A Jewish professor at the University of Southern California confronted pro-Palestinian students. He's now barred from campus. This is bizarre. Until recently, University of Southern California professor John Strauss was known mostly for his research on the economics of developing countries with decades of fieldwork in Indonesia and China. That changed November 9th when Strauss stopped before students staging a walkout and protests calling for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, holding a memorial to thousands of Palestinian civilians killed in the Israel-Hamas war. The economics professor's interactions with the students that day ended with the 72-year-old Strauss, who is Jewish, declaring, and I quote, Hamas are murderers. That's all they are. Everyone should be killed, and I hope they all are killed, end quote. Hamas are murderers. That's all they are. Everyone should be killed, and I hope they all are killed. I agree with him, by the way. The economics professor's interactions with students that day ended with the 72-year-old Strauss, who is Jewish, declaring this, and students captured the remarks on their cell phones. Recognizing it as a viral moment, can you say that for the cameras, one pressed. Within hours, his comments were online. As his remarks raced across the Internet, his condemnation of Hamas was often excised, leaving only his hope for all to be killed. 
Captions and comments online framed his demand for everyone to be killed in myriad, at times, deceptive ways. One Instagram post shared to millions of users falsely claimed that Strauss told the students, I hope you get killed. Within a day, an associate dean told Strauss he was on paid administrative leave, barred from campus, and that he would no longer teach his undergraduates this semester. Within the week, a petition demanding they fire Strauss for his racist, xenophobic behavior and comments that promote and incite violence had collected 6,500 signatures. More than 9,000 signed a counterpetition decrying the University of Southern California's treatment of Strauss as unjust, saying he's the victim of online misinformation. Um, this is kind of bizarre to me. The guy spoke out against a terrorist group, a known terrorist group, a group classified by the United States as a terrorist group, and he's being punished by his university. Meanwhile, the students who are out chanting death to the Jews, they get a pass. It's absolutely bizarre to me that this would happen. What all these all these administrations, all these these universities, they they tout academic freedom and tenure and stuff like that, but man, you talk about the wrong group in the wrong way and they will come for you. Look at the University of Pennsylvania situation where they had a a Palestinian book fair where the lead speaker called for the elimination of Israel and the Jews. And the university defended it as academic free expression. Then when Hamas murdered 1,400 Jews, said nothing. And when donors to the university complained, they suggested that those donors, well, might want to be quiet. There's something profoundly morally screwed up on academic campuses in this country. Profoundly morally screwed up. And it is going to take a donor revolt to get it fixed. It's going to take a massive revolt of donors on these college campuses to get it fixed. I, I don't know. Bad stuff. Before I get out of here, I got to confess a bad thought. Y'all get to be my confessional. I, I'm not Catholic, but y'all y'all can be my, 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 my priest who I confess to. I have, since last Wednesday, been unsubscribing myself from every email list imaginable. Every every PR firm, every ads trying to sell me something, every Cyber Monday sale. Y'all, I have just had incredibly cruel thoughts about these email people. I just, I'm not saying that I would become a Hamas supporter if Hamas did something to these people like that. But y'all, I'm I'm not not saying that at this point either. I am so tired of email spam at this point. I'm wishing horrible thoughts on the people sending me the email spam, and I know I shouldn't with, wish death on these people. But I, I'm I'm just saying. Ugh. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to sixty with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus Sales Event. Now through April 1st, experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.